O God, you are our God. Eagerly we seek you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our modern world seems to always find a way to get mired into controversy and tragedy. This week alone, the Mueller report, the stalemate in England, the Brexit stalemate, about a week and a half ago, the plane crash in Ethiopia, yesterday, new reports of ICE dropping off dozens of newly arrived immigrants at the Greyhound bus station with no further directions on where they need to go. We still have the ongoing aftermath of the killings in New Zealand and Nigeria, and we even heard this week, terribly tragic, about the suicide of one of the survivors of the Parkland school shooting. And just before this service, a report from the um, Arizona Republic about a shooting over here on 22nd Avenue last night at 2 a.m. that left seven people dead. The more we engage the world... We almost seem to go around in circles with this cycle of tragedy. We're on some kind of merry-go-round of tragedy, despair, and pain. We get stuck. And when these tragedies or controversies don't affect us directly, we have seemingly grown accustomed to carrying out our lives as if nothing happened at all. Yeah, we might feel sad momentarily. But often we protect ourselves from the pain by creating scenarios in our mind that comfort us, maybe through material goods or through new experiences or by simply ignoring that anything happened altogether. After all, maybe we've conditioned ourselves through our culture. Our culture teaches us a lot, and so maybe we've conditioned ourselves to believe that because We haven't suffered in the way that others have. We're somehow better. I don't know. The gospel certainly has something to say about this. I remember a time in seminary when we were studying about how the church used to teach small children how to pray. And many of you might remember this from growing up, the prayer, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And we might think, okay, but that's kind of old-fashioned. And it is very true. But if you think about a hundred years ago or so when this prayer was written, there weren't nearly as many vaccines and antibiotics at all as there are available today. And so people died all the time all around us. There was no escaping it. You couldn't ignore it. So the church didn't ignore the reality of the world either. My point is is that we don't like tragedy especially now when we can see it happening in real time. It actually hurts our hearts, or as the Collect of the Day talks about things that hurt the soul. Tragedies hurt the soul more than we know. We hate it when bad things happen, either through hearing news of a massacre or receiving a very difficult and painful medical diagnosis or suffering a setback at work or experiencing something like financial ruin or some kind of other catastrophe. We hate it when this stuff happens. 
And oftentimes, our gut reaction comes out of a place of how do we protect ourselves from it? How do we distance ourselves from it, from this tragedy? Somehow, back here in our mind, we convince ourselves that tragedy is not going to find us. We medicate our environment in some way to convince ourselves that we are somehow better equipped at life than others. But sadly, that's not real life. We're kidding ourselves if we think that we're better than others when bad stuff doesn't happen to us. Jesus points this out in a big way. Tragedies are tragedies. They hurt. And they happen randomly at times. They don't always have a reason. They don't always make sense. And we can't control our way out of shielding ourselves from this kind of pain and loss. We cannot. We can't. And we're not somehow special people if we're not the victim. Jesus specifically uses the words that all of us will perish just like them unless we somehow change. The Bible tells us repent or to change and turn into a new way to live. Unless we change in some way, unless we open our hearts enough to allow God and divine love to help us become more fully human than we are already. Now, I realize that what I've said so far seems pretty dark, but what Jesus is ultimately asking us to do today is he's asking us to live in hope. Life as a human being is full of triumphs and tragedies. Shielding ourselves from the tragedies of others does not help us integrate ourselves and embrace the human experience. Shielding ourselves isolates us from others to the extent that we feel completely removed, all alone, like we don't belong at all. Luke's gospel and the purpose of the entire gospel is all about Jesus calling his followers into this new relationship with himself because he proclaims this kingdom of God being present in the here and now. And Luke argues that the kingdom of God is present in the here and now because of the person and presence and ministry of Jesus. So what this means is that Jesus is absolutely determined to bring his followers into a deeper understanding of what it means to be fully alive as a human being. And that doesn't mean that any of us are better than anyone else. It means, actually, that we're all on this life journey together. And Jesus' ministry is all about how we help people know, know deep down, that we all belong to one another in the good times and in the bad times. The kingdom of God must include everyone. And so when good things happen to us, we celebrate them. And when bad stuff happens, we throw our support around one another and we don't let go. No one is alone in the kingdom of God. Even that blasted fig tree that doesn't bear any fruit. Jesus tells us this story to show us how there's potential. There's potential even in the things around us that are just kind of sleepwalking through life. Even though the fig tree lives, it bears no fruit. Of 
course a landowner would want to cut it down. But God doesn't. Jesus, as the gardener, wants us to nurture it, to believe in that fig tree, to see its potential to do something extraordinary, because it has all the genetic makeup, it has all the nutrients in the soil, it has the gift of daily sunshine to produce, to bear fruit, to blossom, to flourish, to thrive. And if God isn't going to give up on that fig tree, how the heck is God going to give up on us? We might think we're circling a merry-go-round when tragedies and controversies spin all around us and they return back to us over and over and over again. But our thoughtful engagement with this kingdom of God work, that is, our thoughtful engagement with work that does things like feed the hungry and care for the poor and doing work that seeks out the lost and the lonely and those in prison and those who, who truly believe they don't belong to anyone. The kingdom's work tells us that everyone belongs and that the more that we engage this type of kingdom of God work, we believe and we are believing that we can bear great fruit. We live in hope with the hope that God has actually given us everything we need to bear fruit, to blossom, to flourish, and even to thrive. A priest friend of mine in L.A., the Reverend Susan Russell, wrote yesterday on her blog a little excerpt. It's maybe from a more sociological or political point of view, but it's all about how the kingdom work that the Episcopal Church has been doing for about 35, 40 years now is really paying off. And she writes this, we're in a time and a place now where a married gay Episcopalian can put his name in for president and talk about his faith and marriage on national TV because of the hard work we have done in the Episcopal Church to be the church of former presiding Bishop Ed Browning, who once said, in this church, there can be no outcasts. That we can be the church of former, well, actually, the church of the first woman bishop, Barbara Harris, when she says that no one is ever halfway baptized. And yes, I am sanitizing her words. And also, the church of longtime equality advocate Louis Crew Clay, where there is always joy anyway. And our current presiding bishop, Michael Curry, who talks all about Jesus and his way of love, where love is the way. Okay, so I took Susan's comments and realized that we are the church of the gardener who believes in the plants who believes that the good news of Jesus accompanies us, walks alongside of us, and informs our work and our lives again and again and again until justice and God's mercy rolls down for absolutely everybody. We cannot get stuck on this merry-go-round of tragedy because that merry-go-round is kind of a fact of life. It was Jesus's reality. It is our world's reality. It is our reality. But we cannot just put up blinders and we can't get stuck. We have to live in hope. In that great hope 
of the benevolent gardener who actually really does care about the plants. We have to live in this great hope of this church, Trinity Cathedral, a community that about 35, 40 years ago could barely keep going, but has now experienced total rebirth, a place that accompanies the people of downtown Phoenix. We are on this journey together, and we are accompanying the people of downtown Phoenix into the largest urban expansion that this city has ever seen. And we become a community, and we are becoming a community that loves everyone, even those who everyone else in this world deems unlovable. We are a great hope to ourselves, but most importantly, we are a great hope to others. We're, we have a new mayor now this week, and we have had a new bishop now for almost a month, and we are the place that are going to engage all of our leaders, our church leaders and our civic leaders, and reaffirm our community's collective responsibility for the poor. We're the place that is going to alleviate suffering and assist all of our brother and sister churches that are tending to the immediate plight of these immigrants that are just dumped off at the Greyhound bus station and have no direction and nowhere to go. We're the place that are going to walk alongside the families with children, the families we have here at Trinity, but also our families in our neighborhood and people all around in the state who need to get their children the absolute best education possible in today's world. And we are the people who are going to proclaim love and belonging for absolutely everyone because we live in the same hope that the gardener has in today's story. That great hope that even that unwanted fig tree actually has a place in this world. That even that fig tree has precious value, that even that fig tree can do more than we'll ever expect if we simply engage, pay attention, and be the hearts and hands and minds for that benevolent gardener in the here and now. This is Trinity Cathedral, and you are the people of Trinity Cathedral. We have a world, a big world outside these doors, and some of that world is hurting really badly. And we have something to offer. We are a people of love and belonging, and we refuse to be stuck. We're gardeners, and we care about all the plants. Today we stand determined to jump off that merry-go-round of tragedy and to do the work God gives us to do, to see the extraordinary in the ordinary. We are not stuck. We are a community that will live. We will blossom. We will grow. We will flourish. We will thrive. We're a community that is determined to live, and we live in hope. Let us pray. O oh God, our source and our ultimate destination— Give us such confidence in your transformational goodness and grace that we may live in hope, fully, unafraid, turning toward you day by day by day until we bear your fruit. Amen.